0: All right, good evening, everybody. Thank you, Irvin. I heard that good evening. you want to find your place, we'll go ahead and get started. If you got your Bible or your iPad or your phone or whatever and you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. This is a continuation from last week. And the title of our lesson tonight is Submission to Government. Uh, so, I was thinking today that being a Bible teacher is kind of a really weird thing. Uh, on one hand, it's, it's incredibly fulfilling. Um, on the other hand, you are asked to read things, read the Scripture, study the Scripture, analyze the Scripture, comprehend the Scripture, and then communicate the Scripture. And sometimes those passages can be very... Complex or very confusing sometimes, right? And oh yeah, by the way, one day you'll stand before God and he'll judge you for every word you said. That's why the Bible tells us in James, not let don't many of you be teachers, because you will come under a greater judgment. So when I stand up here, as Pastor Henry and Brother Bill do, I have one agenda, okay? And that is to be faithful to the Word of God. That's it. That's my only agenda. Um, I, I I don't, I have to set aside my, any prejudices, any preferences. Sometimes I have to set aside patriotism. You set aside all that, all that, and you just be faithful to the word of God, because that's what you're going to be judged on. And if you believe that you better set aside those things, you have to set them aside. Now, some people may not like what you say. That's okay. Some people may not agree with what you're going to say. That's okay. As long as in this moment in time, I am doing my very best to be faithful to the Word of God, then I can stand before Him and, and be judged, right? So, so that's my agenda tonight, okay? So keep that in mind as we, as we move through. All right, let's read our verses. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Because of this, you must also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. So, Paul says, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Now, as we saw last week, in this passage, Paul asks us or commands us to submit... ...to the government, to civil authorities. That, that includes your county government, your state government, your national government, right? All levels of government. And when he's asking us to do this, he gives us absolutely no exceptions. None at all. Now, we know there are exceptions, and we're going to cover those tonight. But, but Paul doesn't cover any of them in this particular passage. So, last week, in the first part of this, we said there are six questions that we want to ask and answer about this text. Now three of them we did last week. And I'm going to cover these very, very quickly because we got a lot to, to talk about here tonight. Number one, why submit? Why does Paul what what is Paul's reasons for telling us that we are to submit to the government? Well, he gave us four last week. Number one, because it's instituted by God. Number two, because to resist is rebellion against God. Number three, because it's good for you. you. Remember what we said last week? Even a bad government is better than no government. You're seeing this right now in cities across America where, the, where, where the government's pulling back and not, not doing what they're supposed to do, which is deal with wrongdoers. And when you do that, you have anarchy and you will descend into chaos very, very quickly. So even a bad government... It's better than no government at all. And then finally, because it's the right thing to do. Paul said, don't just do it because you don't want to get in trouble with God. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Do it so that you'll have a clear conscience. So that was the first thing. The second question we asked last week was this. Does the command to submit include evil rulers? What's the answer to that? Yeah, remember, we could have inferred this if we wanted to. Remember, the ruler of Rome, what is the letter that we're studying? The letter to the Romans. He's not writing this letter to the Macedonians. He's not writing this letter to the Corinthians or to the Ephesians. He's writing it to the church at Rome. And the ruler of Rome at that time was a man named Nero who was committed incest, adultery, murder. He was a pedophile and a homosexual. That was the ruler When Paul penned these verses, so we could infer from that absolutely it includes, but we don't have to infer because Paul says it twice. In verse one, he says, "Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God." That means communism and dictatorships and democracies, whatever that government is, it it comes if it's not there except from God. And then, in case you didn't get it, he says it twice and. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So he makes no exceptions. All government is under the authority or instituted by the authority of God. Now, the third question that we dealt with last week, why doesn't Paul give us any exceptions? Well, the reason he doesn't, because spiritual things like faith and humility and readiness to suffer are far, far more important to the Christian than physical things like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Okay, that's just, he's, he's, he's not worried about those things. In fact, put it this way, he's much more concerned with the kingdom of God than he is with the kingdom of men. So he knows if he starts putting exceptions out there, that's what we'll focus on. So he just doesn't do it. He said, this is what's important. This is what I'm asking you to do. Now, tonight, we're going to answer three more questions. These are going to take us a little longer. Um, the first one is this, are there exceptions? Are there exceptions. Well, I'm going to look at several of them from Scripture, and yes, there are absolutely exceptions, and we're going to look at them, and then we'll see what is the common thread that goes through them. So the first example is the example of Peter and uh, John. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John, if you want to go back and read later, they are brought before the, uh, the council, and they tell them, you got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't do that anymore. So they told them specifically don't preach. Of course, what did they do? They went out and preached in the name of Jesus. So in Acts chapter 5, they bring them in again. This is what it says. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And Peter and the apostles said, we must obey God rather than Men. So here's a, a case where they are told specifically not to do something by the governing authorities and they walk right out the door and they do it. And what was their reason? We must obey God rather than men. So here you have a case of civil disobedience on the base of religious consciousness. Now this is a, this is a great rule of thumb. As long as, as, as obeying the government doesn't somehow conflict with what God wants us to do, then we should obey the government. But if if obeying the government conflicts with something God has said to do or or conflicts with a higher law, then we always put God first. Let's look at another one. This is the case of Daniel in the Old Testament. It says this in Daniel 6, So the administrators and high officers went to the king, and they said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, the administrators, the officials, the high officers, the advisors, the governors, that the king should make a law That will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into a den of lions. And so King Darius signed the law. So he makes a law, the king, and says for the next 30 days, anybody that prays to any God. So it wasn't just Jehovah God, any false God. If you pray to any other man, they would throw you in a den of lions. You can only pray to King Darius. Now, listen to what happened. It says, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, this is pretty incredible. I want you to notice how blatant his disobedience is. He goes home. Do you understand? He could have went in a back corner of the room of the house and prayed and nobody would have seen him but he doesn't. He opens a door facing the street, and he could have stood up and prayed, right? You know, it's really easy to tell somebody's praying when they're what? When they're on their knees. He could have kind of walked back and forth, you know, God help, you yeah, yeah. and so nobody could tell, but he did. He knelt in front of that window, and he got on his knees so that anybody passing by on the street could see that he was praying. He didn't try to hide it at all. It was an open act of civil disobedience to the authorities. And by in which for, for that, by the way, we all know the story, he was thrown into a den of lions and he did not resist. He knew the penalty for disobedience and he accepted the penalty. We'll talk about that later. The friends of Daniel. Another act of civil dis, dis, disobedience is some guys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, theirs is a little bit different. Daniel is told, do not do something. Do not pray to anybody except the king. These guys are told something different. They are told to do something. You see the difference? They're told, he's told not to do something. They're told to do something that they would not do. Daniel chapter 3. They said, this is the administrators and the government. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. So he's made a law, and in this law, whenever throughout the city they hear the sound of this music, everybody has to drop to their knees and worship this golden statue that he has set up. But there are some Jews, they reported, specifically Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty, They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue you have set up. Once again, this time, they are commanded, you will bow down, and they said, no, can't do it. This again, why didn't they do it? Because there's a higher law, right? God said, you shall have no other gods before me. So, they are thrown into the fiery furnace, they don't even try to resist. They know what the penalty is going to be, and they um, accept it. Another Old Testament example is two ladies this time by the name of Shiprah and Pua. Anybody know who Shipra and Puah are? They are the Hebrew midwives. Very good. So, you go back to the Exodus and you read about the Israelites are in the land of Egypt. They're living in the land of Goshen and they are growing and growing and growing. And the Pharaoh begins to wonder and think, man, they're getting too powerful. There's too many of them. So, he calls in the two Hebrew midwives and he says this, And Pharaoh, king of Egypt gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Puah: When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let him live. Okay? But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live. So the God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. So once again, they're told to do something. Morally, they could not do it. They refused, and, and, the, and the Bible says very clearly God was pleased with that, was he not? God was good to them because what they were doing was right. I could go on and on. You've got the example in Joshua chapter 2 of Rahab, the prophet, uh, of the uh, prostitute who hid the two uh, Hebrew slaves. She was commanded to turn them over, and she would not do it. You've got the example of Obadiah in 1 Kings 18 who hid the prophets from King Ahab in the, in the caves. You've got the example of Esther who uh, was not supposed to go before the king unless you were summoned. That was a law, and she did it anyway. And then, of course, you've got the um, revelation where Christians are told to bow down and worship the Antichrist, and they refuse to do it, and they are killed. All of these examples and more show us that there are clearly, clearly times that it is right to resist our government. It is time to resist certain things that our civil authorities tell us to do now this brings us to question number five when is it right in other words what do all those situations have in have in common well they've all got something in common I want to show you let's go back to excuse me Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they're commanded to worship false gods Shepra and Pua are commanded to kill innocent children well, the Bible tells us what? You shall have no other gods before me and you shall not murder. So you've got God's law up here and you've got the civil authorities telling you to do something in the exact opposite of the law. They couldn't do it. See, in both those cases, the 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 authorities required them to do something that morally they could not do. There was a higher law and so they disobeyed. Now, Daniel and Peter and John are different. They... They weren't told to do something. They were told, don't do something. Daniel was told, don't pray to your God. Peter and John were told, don't preach Jesus. But at the same time, both of those felt like they were morally bound to do those things. The Bible tells us to pray always. The Bible tells us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. So they were morally bound to do those things. And in both those cases, they ignored the civil authorities. Now... Here's an interesting question. What if the law is benign? What if the law is benign? So what I mean by benign law, it has nothing to do with the law of God. For example, don't jaywalk, setting speed limits, hunting seasons, no swimming, no trespassing. Those are just benign laws, right? They really don't They're not moral or immoral or anything like that. They're what we call benign. So here's my question: Are there situations? where those laws should be disobeyed. Anybody? Absolutely. Is it right to ignore a no-swimming sign when there's a child drowning 10 feet away? Of course. How, how crazy would it be if, if a man stood there and a child's drowning he said, you know, I'd save him, but hey, it says no-swimming. <laughs> everybody would look at that person like they're insane, right? Even the people that put up the no swimming, saying, what are you doing? There's a kid drowning, right? Is it morally right to jaywalk to stop an attack on the other side of the street? Is it morally right to break the speed limit to rush a dying friend to the hospital? Is it morally right to shoot a bear out of season if it's attacking someone? Is it morally right to trespass on somebody's property in order to, to put out a fire or, or save a life? What's the answer to those? yes. Those are easy, of course, those things are right. Now, from all those examples, I think there are three cases or situations where civil disobedience by Christians is called for. okay the first one is this: the government requires you to do something that God forbids you to do, okay the government requires you to do something that God literally forbids you to do. that. Would, you would have to sin in order to do it. Now, for, for Christians, there is no choice there. You would disobey civil authority. So, let me give you some examples. Let's say uh, the state of Florida or some state passed a law that said Christian pastors are required by law to marry homosexuals. By the way, the the thing you're looking at right there, there was a law put forth in Kansas back in 2012. It ended up not passing, but there was actually a law that said that Christian pastors would have to marry homosexuals. So if there's a law like that, and somebody passes a law, and somebody was to come to Pastor Henry and say, you know, we're homosexuals, we want you to marry us, he would have a choice. Do I disobey or do I obey God? Are you with me? Okay, okay. Number two, the second situation is the government forbids you to do something that God commands you to do or you feel morally bound to do. James 4.17 says this, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him is sin. You see, there are sins of, omission, um, of commission, which is sins you actually commit, and then there's other sins of omission, where you were supposed to do something and you didn't do it. The Bible says that's a sin too. Not just not doing anything sometimes can be just as much a sin as it would be doing something else. Let me give you an example. Did you know that right now, when I put this together, and I don't remember when I did this uh, a, a few years ago, at that time, 34% of the countries in the world either forbid or put limits on evangelizing. Okay? 34% of the countries in the world either forbid Uh, Christians evangelizing or put limits on evangelizing. So let's say you go into a country and it says you cannot tell anybody about Jesus. That's the law. So it's it's telling you it's not making you do anything. You could just keep your mouth shut. But you're going to have to make a decision, which am I going to obey the law or am I going to obey Christ? The third situation that we find ourselves is sometimes civil disobedience is required to accomplish a greater moral good. This is kind of what we were talking about earlier with speeding signs and and no swimming signs and jaywalking. Sometimes there's a higher moral law. This reminds me of the Nuremberg Trials. If you're young, you may not know what the Nuremberg Trials are, but after World War II, they took a lot of the the German officers, they they took the people that ran the concentration camps, and they put them on trial in in a place called Nuremberg, Germany. It's called the Nuremberg Trials. And a lot of those guys, this was their reason. They said, wait a minute, you can't hold me responsible. I was just doing what my government told me to do. They told me to do this, so I had to obey. You you can't hold me responsible for what my government asked me to do. You know what the judge said? He said, gentlemen, is there not a law above our laws? Of course there is. Everybody understands that, that there's times there's a greater law, there's a higher moral law than what our government is telling us to do. So that's the common thread that you see in all these situations is that people are morally compelled to disobey the government in order to obey a higher law. They are morally compelled. That's the reason you do it. Let me put it another way. We as Christians must disobey civil authority whenever it requires a Christian to act in a manner that is contrary to the teaching and requirements of God's Word. Okay? That's our reasons that we are to disobey. So here is our overriding rule of thumb, is to do what Peter did, right? In Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Anytime God's law and God's ways conflict with our government, we have to obey God. He always comes first. R.C. Sproul said this, Although we may easily grasp the principle, and here's the principle, we must obey the state unless it commands us to do something that God forbids or forbids us from doing something that God commands. Is that, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? That's pretty easy to understand. But watch what he says. But applying it correctly <laughs> is not always easy. Applying it correctly is not always easy. However, this is what he said, we can say that our general approach should be to go out of our way to obey the law of the state. At times, we may have to disobey the state in order to obey the Lord, but hopefully those occasions should be relatively rare. So again, rule of thumb, obey the laws, obey the government, unless there's a morally compelling reason not to do so. All right? Now, here's the problem. That's easy, by the way. <laughs> this is the hard part. It's not always cut and dry. It's not always cut and dry. See, the problem is, as Christians, we can disagree. What may offend one person's conscience so that they see it as a sin, another believer, it may not offend their conscience at all. They may not, they may not have no problem with it. Okay? Let me give you some examples. Okay? Did you know that 29 countries in the world right now forbid homeschooling with no exceptions? 29 countries. If you live or work or are or, or, or born in those countries, they forbid homeschooling. By the way, we're not just talking about places like Cuba. We're talking about places uh, like Guatemala. Um, we're talking about places like um, uh, Germany. Germany forbids homeschools. So we got, I mean, we're talking about, you know, not all communist states. So if you're living in that country or you're born in that country and they forbid homeschool, what do you do? Well, some, one Christian may say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I don't see that as a moral issue. But another Christian may say, absolutely, I think that's a moral issue. I think I'm... I'm everybody with me? You, you could disagree on that. Let me give you another one. Much closer to home. Requiring churches to close down during the pandemic. At one time in 2020, um, there were at least six states that forbid churches meeting. That were California, Nevada, Virginia, Maine, New Jersey, and Connecticut. You could not meet at all. There was another 13, including the District of Columbia, that put limits on what churches could do. In other words, they said, well, you can meet, but you can only have 20 people. Or you can meet, but you've got to be you know, 85 feet apart from one another. Or you can meet, and you can't sing. They put rules. So think about that. That's 20 states. That's between one-third and one-half of, of the states in America either forbade, for, forbade churches meeting or they put limits on it. Now, one Christian may say, the Bible tells us not to forbid the meeting or not to neglect the meeting of one another, especially as the, days grow, grow, the last days grow nearer, right? So that's a moral issue. We've got to meet. Another Christian may say, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. We can still meet online. You know, there, there's bigger issues. At, at Everybody with me? And by the way, Christians did disagree on that. They disagreed whether it was a, a moral uh, issue. John MacArthur, who has a, a, a church in California, yeah, some of y'all may have heard, uh, they shut his church down, and he said, no, 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 no. And they started meeting, and they they fined them. They took them to court. They, they did all kind of things and, and and you know, really gave. But, again, he thought it was a, a moral issue. He thought the law of God uh, compelled him to have church. But, again, Christians can disagree. Let me give you another one. Vaccine mandates. Okay, so let's just get a little closer to home. Some people would say, now, wait a minute. I I just can't do this vaccine because... Those, those vaccines were tested with a fetal cell line, which is, comes from aborted babies. I just think that's immoral. I can't do it. And another Christian says, well, no, I see it a different way. I, I think what's immoral is not getting it to protect your neighbor. And you can literally come at it from two different ways. And they both think they're right. Okay? And we'll talk about that a little bit more. I want you to listen to Romans 14. By the way, we'll get to this in just a few weeks. And I can't wait because I love to teach this part right here because it's got lessons here for all of us. This is Paul talking in the next chapter. He says, As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while a weak person eats only vegetables. Now, let me explain that so, you know, people don't misunderstand that. In that day, you bought your meat at an open-air market. You went to the market and there was meat hanging up and a lot of that meat had been offered to false gods in the temples, in pagan temples, okay? So what they'd do is they'd offer these goats or they'd offer these cows, and then after they were finished offering them to these pagan gods, they would skin them, cut them, and hang them and go sell them. So when you went to the meat market and you bought you, know, that, you bought that, that Boston butt or whatever, you didn't know, did that just come from some guy's organic farm or did that just come out of the, the, a, a sacrifice to Aphrodite? You didn't know. They didn't stamp it USDA approved, right? It just, you didn't know where it came from. Well, two different Christians go to the meat market. And one guy, and by the way, this is the strong one. He says, dude, it's just meat, right? It it ain't like the demon's in the meat. If I eat the meat, the demon ain't going to get in me. It's just meat. And he don't care. Honestly, that's what's, he don't care. It's just meat. But the guy that's weak, says, oh, oh, no, 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 you, I, I, I can't, I can't even take a chance in eating something that's been offered to demons. So he, just, he, he goes vegetarian. That's exactly what's happening. He, he's not even going to take a chance that he might. So let's read it again. One person believes he can eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. See, Paul is saying the guy that eats the meat, he's right. It's just meat. What, does, what difference does it matter? It's the weak person who thinks somehow eating meat makes you less spiritual or more... That's the weak person. But then watch what Paul says. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Paul says, listen, you're going to come together, and you're going to have different opinions, and it's okay. It's okay. Watch what he says. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is... Excuse me. It is before his own master that he stands or falls. So then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Now, that's a big statement right there. What he's saying is, when you make your decision, you don't make your decision on what she's doing or what he's doing. You make your decision knowing that one day you're going to stand before God and answer to him. And you better keep your conscience clear. So if it bothers you to eat meat, don't eat it. If it doesn't bother you to eat meat, have at it. But you do what keeps your conscience clear before God, not what the other guy thinks. That's not what's important. All right, number six. What does civil disobedience look like? Okay, now, let's say we come to a situation where the government is is requiring us to do something and I just don't feel like morally I can do it. What does it look like? All right, here's my first thing I'm going to tell you, and that is this. You better make sure it's real. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Don't you dare, don't you dare use God as a cover-up to disobey just because you don't agree with something. Let me say that again. Don't you dare use God and morality and Christianity as a cover-up to get away with something just just because you don't agree with it. If you're going to do it, you better make sure... It's real. Let me get the scripture on that. First Peter two, thirteen through sixteen. This is basically Peter saying the same thing that Paul says. Peter said this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of the foolish people. Now, does everybody see what he's talking about? What's the context here? The context is obeying government. Everybody see that? Everybody clear on that? That's the context. Now watch what he says. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up to get away with what you want to do. You don't go and say, you know what, I'm free, I can do whatever. Nobody gonna tell me what to do, I can do what I want to do. He said, don't do that. Yes, you're free. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up. He goes on, love the, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. All right, I'm going to share my heart with you. I kind of debated whether to do this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. So back in October, I got an email from my uh, company. I work for a company, and I got an email. And they said, uh, you got to be Vaccinated because we do, we do work for the federal government. At the time, I'm not vaccinated, didn't want to get vaccinated, didn't, wasn't interested in being vaccinated. And I got an email, and it said you got to get vaccinated. Well, I had thought about the possibility coming, so I said, okay, well, I'll just get a religious exemption, right? So I reached out to my HR group, and they sent me the forms and all that. And, they had, and a couple of people had told me, said, look, if you want a religious exemption, they'll give it to you. They're not going to fight it. So it was pretty much a guaranteed thing. You just had to fill it out. Right? So I thought, no big deal. I'll fill out this exemption. So I sat down, and I started getting my scriptures, <laughs> and I started putting them down there. And basically, what I was saying is I was going to have to basically write down and sign that I think it is morally wrong to take the vaccine, and I had to tell why it was morally wrong. That I, I felt like it was wrong for me to benefit from something that was immoral. Everybody with me? I get down. I start writing it. And that scripture comes to me. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up to do what you want to do. Don't use your freedom. Do you really believe this, Derek? Do you really, do you really believe this? Man, I started sweating. I called, uh, I called Scooter, talked to him. Man, what do you think about this? Call Pastor Henry. Pastor Henry and I talked. I got counsel. And long story short, I crumpled it up and threw it away. I couldn't do it. I could not put my name on that. See, here's the problem. It turns out that if I say I can't take a vaccine because it it used these fetal cell lines, well, I can't take Tylenol anymore. I can't take Advil. I can't take aspirin because those were all developed the exact same way. Am I going to say I'm not going to do that? Because listen, once I put my name on there, I'm stating this is a God thing. Everybody with me? Am I actually going to go through life and start researching all the medicines and see which is right and which is wrong and all this? I started thinking, you know, is it, is, it, is it wrong for me to benefit from something like that? And I started thinking about other situations. Let me give you an example that came to my mind. Let's say a woman commits adultery and she gets pregnant and, and has a baby. Now, adultery is sin, that's clear. She gives the baby up for adoption are we going to say that nobody can adopt that baby because they would be benefiting from somebody else's sin? That doesn't make any sense, right? Of course. That would be like the no-swimming sign. Yes, you should adopt that baby. Listen, I don't care whether you vaccinated or not, it makes no difference to me what whatsoever. Okay? But for me, I just could not fill that paper out and sign it. I just came to the realization. That what the real reason I didn't want to get vaccinated is because I was I didn't want anybody telling me what to do. That was the real reason. I really it wasn't a moral thing. It was I don't want people telling me what to do. That was the reason. And I was honest. Now, as we all know, it ended up not making any difference at all because got an email, it went to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court kicked it out, got an email and said, Don't worry about it. And it didn't ended up not mattering. But see, folks, I've been saying this a long time. We're not normal people. This isn't a normal life. You can't just get away with things that normal people do. This is a radical life. What we do matters. What we say matters. How we act matters. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living for an audience of one, not you. It's for him. I gotta, I'm going to answer to him. So it's him that's important. You may not agree with what I said. That's fine. You may not like what I said. That's fine. But my conscience is clear. And that's what matters. That's what Peter's saying. Don't use your freedom as a cover. Listen, if you've got a moral problem with it, don't do it. Don't do it and stand strong. And I'll support you. But we can disagree. All right, next, second thing. Always nonviolent. Always nonviolent. Always nonviolent. Now, listen. This has been argued down throughout American history. I went back and got an example from the American Revolution. This is the type of quotes that came from the pulpits back in the seventeen, late seventeen hundreds. This is Jonathan Mayhew, who was pastor of the West Church in Boston. He said, "This opposition to a tyrant, in this case, the British occupiers, is a glorious Christian duty." So they're just preaching. Man, It's it's, in fact, I read a story about one guy. This is a true story. He got up, preached his message, and in the message, he took his coat off, and he had his uniform underneath. He said, who's going to follow me? And he went out and fought the British. Okay? Now, I'm not... That guy had to do what he wanted to do. But you're always going to find people who are going to be saying that just because you don't like, th- that somehow they're, they're occupiers or their are uh, tyranny or whatever the case. In fact, let me give you one. This is Pat Robertson. He said this, Whenever the civil government forbids the practice of things that God has commanded us to do or tells us to do things he has commanded us not to do, we're on solid ground in disobeying the government. If he'd have stopped right there, he'd have been exactly right. But he added this, and rebelling against it. Folks, let me tell you, I can find no scriptural support, none, not a blank, nothing, that would ever encourage us or support us to violently resist our government. Again, Paul is writing under Nero, who's using Christians to light the torches. They put him on a pole and set him on fire and light in his garden at night. That's that's the kind of leader that they're living under, and Paul says, "Don't resist." see, Scripture actually teaches us the exact opposite. Look at John 18, 36. Jesus answered, I am not an earthly king. If I were, my followers would have fought when I was arrested by the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not of this world. I said it last week. It's this odd thing that we've got to get out of our minds. Somehow we think that the government, the type of government really matters. But the church in China is exploding under the oppressive boot of communism, and the church in America is shrinking under the freedom of democracy. You explain that to me. I'll tell you how you explain it, because the type of government has no effect on spiritual matters. You can't legislate somebody a new heart. You can hold them in line. You can kind of try to keep them between the lines, but you can't give them a new heart. So it doesn't matter if it's a communist government or a, or, a, or a dictatorship or a democracy. Those are, you know, those are physical things. But God's kingdom is so much higher than that, so much better than that. One quick thing, civil disobedience is permitted, we've already said that, but should always be conducted within the laws of the land. Somebody asked me last week, can I protest? Absolutely. In other words, if you want to, you, for example, if they give you a religious uh, exemption and you feel strongly about that, take it. If they give you the, the, if it's within the law to take them to court, take them to court. If you want to protest, protest. Those, everybody understand, those are all things that are allowed by our government. Feel free to do any of those things. Let me show you that from Scripture, Acts 22. Paul is in the temple And the Jews hate his guts. And there's a rumor going around that he brought a Gentile into the temple. So there's a big riot and they grab him and they they, they take him out of the temple. and They take him out into a place called the Court of the Gentiles. And right up beside the Court of the Gentiles is actually a Roman garrison. So the guy in the Roman garrison looks down and he sees this guy and the Jews are all gathered around him. They're all fighting. I mean, it's a riot going on. So they come out and they go grab Paul. And this is what we see in Acts 22. It says the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging or whipping, to find out why they were shouting against him. But when they had stretched him out, so in those days, those days, <laughs> if they wanted to find out what was going on, they just whipped you until you told them, right? So notice they've got him stretched out. He's, they already got him down, tied down. So they're fixing the whipping. This is what Paul said. Paul said to the centurion who was standing by. Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? See, Paul knew it wasn't lawful. So he just brought that up. Hey, what you're doing is not lawful. And it says, So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune was also afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. See, if you were a Roman citizen, they couldn't do that. They couldn't bound you or whip you without going through a court of law. So he... Everybody see what he did? He took advantage of the laws and the rules that were put in place. He had no problem with that. We shouldn't either. Take them to court. Uh, do whatever you got to do. Protest. But do it within the confines and the laws of your government. Acts 25, Paul does it again. He's, he's meeting a guy named Festus, who's a king, and he wants to please the Jews. And he says to, to uh, Paul, Hey, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? Because Jerusalem's full of Jews. Paul's like, man, I ain't got a prayer if I go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, no, this is the official Roman court. I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. He took advantage of the laws, and we can too. You've got, here's, your, here's the ending part here. and This ain't easy. This ain't easy. You, you've got something you, you need to disobey. You can't do something the government is asking you to do. And you know what the repercussions are. It's a law, which means there's repercussions. So you go to court, you protest, you write letters, you do whatever it is you can do within the law, and at the end of the day, it's done. There's no more, there's no more recourse. What do you do? I'm going to give you two things. You can run, or you can accept the consequences. Those are your two options. You can run. Daniel knew exactly what was going to happen when he knelt down in front of that window and he accepted the consequences. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew exactly what was going to happen when they refused to worship that golden statue. Peter and John knew exactly what would happen when they went back out that door and priest. In fact, listen to this, Acts chapter 5. They call them in again, and they beat them, and they charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go and they left the presence of the council, and they were so upset because they weren't treated right, and it just wasn't fair. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced. What kind of people are these? These aren't normal people. These are radical people. These are people that are serving a kingdom that these things over here are like like like, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of that means nothing. That means nothing. I'm 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 on a road and I'm serving a, a so much higher law than that. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And by the way, they went back outside and every day in the temple and from house to house they did not stop teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. They knew exactly what was coming. They every one of them knew eventually they were gonna die. They knew the penalty. And they didn't stop. And when the time came, they accepted it. Now, you and I may say, well, that ain't right. <laughs> How is that justice to get punishment for doing the right thing? I've only got one answer to that, and that's Scripture, of course. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Keep your conscience clear. Last thing you and I live in a, a, an incredible government, probably, as far as governments go, one of the greatest governments ever to exist, which is a, a federated democracy. You and I have the ability to work to install new leaders. We have this thing called a vote. We can contribute money to campaigns. We can volunteer in campaigns. If we've got a government that's immoral or we've got a government that's, that's doing whatever reason, we can vote them out and vote a new one in, okay? Now, let me just give you one little warning. Be very careful in this area because this world is not your home. Listen, I I vote. I will continue to vote. But let me tell you, I ain't putting my eggs in that basket. I'm not putting my eggs. Because I don't care who you put in there. They are fallen men and fallen women. And they will create a fallen government. So do what you got to do. You can work for campaigns. you You can make phone calls for people. Do whatever you feel like you need to do. But don't put all your eggs in that basket. This is not our home. We are only passing through. Last thing, and this is it. It is amazing to me. Remember what I said earlier? It doesn't seem to matter to the Bible whether the government is communism or it's a dictatorship or it's a democracy. That just doesn't seem to matter. And it's this this incredible thing that we, in all of those governments, we've been given this incredible spiritual weapon called prayer. And what's amazing to me is that most people spend more time on Facebook complaining about their government than they do praying for their government. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority. What for? So that we can lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Listen, isn't that all we want? Isn't that all anybody wants is to live a peaceful life in godliness and dignity? Paul says, pray for that. Pray for your leaders. If you don't like the leader, what are you accomplishing? You've got a super weapon in your hands called prayer. And it doesn't matter if you're in Russia right now or you're in Ukraine or you're in the U.S. or you're in North Korea. You've got a super weapon as a Christian called prayer. And how many of us are doing it? How many of us are really using the weapon that God... God said, I, I'm not going to leave you without anything. I'm going to give you pray. Ask me to change things. But most of us, as I said, spend very little time doing that and much more time focused over here on these physical things. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, uh, I thank you for your word. It just never ceases to... Surprise me anymore? How relevant your word is for today. Uh, We're two thousand years on from this letter being written. It's just like it was written yesterday. We could we could change the word king to president, and it's exactly what we need to hear. Now, Father, I pray as we leave here tonight that you would somehow through the Holy Spirit just impress this upon our heart that we would be a different kind of citizen. We'd be a different kind of people that we would focus not on the physical, that we would not focus on, on the temporary, but, God, we would live our lives focused on the eternal and on, the, on, 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 on what we know we're here for. God, help us to live radical lives of obedience to your word. And, God, I pray that others will see that and ask us, what, what is it in you that makes you different? What is it that makes you not like these normal people? And we can never stop teaching and preaching from work to school to house that Jesus is the Christ. We ask it all in your name. Amen.